This is Raw Cut. This is Life Bursts. I'm Matt. And I'm Sarah. We're sharing your stories with the world. Yes, welcome to uh, Life Bursts. And if you're listening to us on hillsradio.com.au, a special welcome to you as well. It's Wednesday when you're listening to this between 4 and 6 p.m. So thanks for joining us. If not, you're listening to us via a podcast or you're watching us via our uh, video podcast, which is streaming on YouTube. So there's many different ways to continue to stay in contact uh, with us here at Life Burst in our new format that we started last week here for the show. This is Life Burst. I am Sarah. And I'm Matt. It's so good that you could join us today. And today, as we share stories each week, Sarah is in the hot seat and we get to hear a little bit of your story. So, Sarah, as we as we begin with all our guests, tell us, where did life start out for you? Well, life started at the beginning of my life. No, I was going to say a really silly quote there to begin with. Um, but no, it started in Stirling at the Stirling Hospital. And I say that because I was like one of the last babies to be born at Stirling Hospital in 93 in Memorable. November. I know, right? And there's actually another um, boy as well, James, who was uh, born around the same time as well at Stirling Hospital. So my parents had kind of this little thing going on, um, you know who could come out first. Anyway, that's where life started for me, not anywhere where you might have been expecting that to go. And I've lived in Ichunga, so when my mother and now late father got married, they built a house in Ichunga, in the centre of Ichunga, big family house on like an acre and had tons of animals and, yeah, tons of pets and just really being a part of a community. Looking back now, I was definitely in a really awesome, safe, nice bubble <laughs> of Ichunga uh, with my family so close by. So not only my mother and father, but my brother came along three years later. Uh, and then I had my grandparents and uncles and aunties that were also close within at least 10 minute drive from where we were living in Ichunga. So it was a really fantastic way to grow up living in Ichunga in the Adelaide Hills. Mm. Now, it sounds like an idyllic life and you a, a nice, safe bubble, you said. But for yeah. you, uh, it wasn't too long into your life as a child that uh, your parents realised that life wasn't going to be so idyllic. That's right. Uh, around 18 months of age, I stopped walking after starting to walk later on. Uh, so I wasn't walking like when normal kids would start walking. I started walking later, then I only walked for like seven weeks, and then I went back again to bum shuffling around. And it was in that time that my parents knew that something wasn't right. So being in a small country town, uh, we went to the local GP, which was only there on a Wednesday, and went down there in the morning. And he then referred us down to the Women's and Children's Hospital in the city. And so we went down there and there are a whole bunch of tests, x-rays, injections, blood tests, scans, all those types of things to try and figure out what was wrong with me. And, And because I was a baby. I, you can't use words to express how you're feeling. There's no way that you can share what was happening. I don't remember what was happening then. Uh, many of us don't. And what my parents tell me is that by the end of those tests and 
everything, they got the result back that I was diagnosed with juvenile arthritis. Right. So this is something that was new to me when I met you, that there is such a thing as juvenile arthritis. Uh, We think of arthritis often as an older person's disease, but this is fairly unique. Yes. Yeah, it is. One in 1,000 children currently here in Australia are living with juvenile arthritis right now. Uh, There's no medical cure for juvenile arthritis either. Uh, So I've found it very, you know, lonely growing up, feeling very isolated, even though I had a whole community around me that gathered around my family to support them as I was growing up, supporting us with, um, you know, medical appointments or going to school or outside activities of church and um, lots of other different things that happen in the community with CFS and whatever. And they, they were all there for us, but it doesn't really take away that pain that my parents that I now know about being older had of feeling even more alone and isolated than I did not knowing anyone else who was going through that same situation Mm. at the time when I was 18 months of age yeah so as you grew what's your earliest memory of uh, of your some of the symptoms you had and and realizing that uh, this was different to what other people are experiencing There are many. Uh, I think probably the pivotal memories are being in hospital and about to go under for anaesthetic and they used to use a gas mask only like to put the anaesthetic through. But to make it fun, they used to put like, I don't, I don't, I think it's still around, like lip smackers on the outside of like the rim of the mask so that it could smell like whatever that was I'm smelling it right now it's really gross fruity yeah to smell fruity it didn't doctors it doesn't smell fruity (laughs) you can still smell the fact that you're being put to sleep with with this medical gas I suppose that's yeah anesthetic and that is pretty traumatizing if you're a young child and you don't understand what's going on what's happening with your body or why this is happening sure the doctors and your parents and carers and people can tell you that you're going in to have an operation and this is what's going to happen, but you don't fully understand why it's happening and why this is the only way to, to treat that and why there is all this pain and stuff going on in your body. Like you just don't get it. So some of my earliest memories are pretty traumatizing and it is sad to think that there are other kids out there, other young kids, older kids, even adults that have, some of these as their first memories of of being a child Mm. um, with the juvenile arthritis. Wow. So as you got older uh, and you started to go to school and things that uh, every child is expected to do, how did life differ for you? How was it difficult? Well, I didn't spend much time at school, which is uh, unfortunately, I did a lot of learning externally and my parents were amazing at getting work from school for me to be able to do and teachers putting sheets and stuff together. Is that because you uh, you were in hospital yes, or in pain? Yes, I was in hospital, mm. yes, or in too much pain or medication wasn't working or medication side effect or any of those things. It's pretty, yeah, it was pretty full on and, and intense not to be able to kind of be like a normal kid and 
and go to school, you know, your story that you moved around to lots of different places and you had to get to know people again and again and again. I didn't really get that opportunity to sort of get to know them in the first place. Uh, And so everybody sort of formed groups and then you'd have to kind of join in afterwards and then you wouldn't be there very much. So it was hard to sort of continue those uh, friendships. And that became harder and more apparent pretty much when I started to get into like grade five and everything. That's when kids started to really hit on that Sarah is different. We don't know how to treat Sarah. So we're just going to exclude her from everything and she can just deal with it. We're just going to say mean things about her. We're not going to be very nice to her. And we're like in year five. So what's that, like nine, ten years old? And, yeah, you don't – the kids don't know any different. You know, they might these days. But back then, like, didn't really know any different of how to, how to treat it. I didn't feel supported enough to speak up about how I was actually feeling and to try and explain being constantly in pain – because I thought that being in pain every single day and having to have medication every single day and injections every single day were just normal. Like everybody was like that. So why am I any different if you're all doing all of this all the time as well as me? Um, but as a, a younger child in primary school and stuff, I was at Ichunga Primary. So I was really, really lucky to have the same teacher for the first three years of primary school. Uh, which was fantastic. Uh, a lot of kids don't get that opportunity these days. So it meant that we didn't have to reinform and re-educate teachers again every single year with what needed to happen and what didn't need to happen. Uh, so I wouldn't sit on the ground because I couldn't sit on the ground. So I would always sit on a chair. Uh, I would have to have like a sloping desk. So the desk in front my mother made out of wood and painted it brown. And uh, that, that was my desk that sat on top of the actual school desk that I had. I had a pillow that I sat on. Um, pencils and textures and stuff like that were always thicker and I had special grips. I would have splints made for like my right hand and I, I still have them to this day uh, that I would wear so that there wouldn't be as, as much pain from, you know, always constantly writing and everything. Mm. So more of a... A support there. So all those things uh, would have emphasised to others that there was something different about you, which which would have been difficult. I'd love to hear how you cope with some of that as well. And when we come back, we're going to hear more of Sarah's story. This is Life Bursts. If you like what you're hearing, please write a review of this podcast on your podcasting app, or you can share this on social media. So Sarah, going through school, there were lots of ways you practically had help to cope. How did you cope emotionally through those primary school years? Honestly, you don't really think about it. You're like a kid and you're like, this is what life is like. And like I mentioned before, I just thought that everybody's life was like this. But just kids just didn't express it in the same way that I did. When I sort of got to like year seven, so 11, 12 years old, uh, I was a pastoral care worker at the school so jade who i'm still in contact with today and she was fantastic at the little different activities that she would do and that you know that you could just go and talk to her about what was going on even if i didn't really understand what was going on and i must say kids these days are definitely 
sound like an old person, <laughs> but no, they're definitely more switched on with their mental health and with their emotions and how they're feeling. And that all comes back to the people now that are in 20s, 30s that have always been sort of advocating for that type of change here that have been through the schooling system uh, with this new schooling system uh, and seeing that there are flaws and that, yeah, we do need to have a bigger conversation about mental health of children uh, and how they're feeling at school and then what you can do to help them mm. as well. Uh, so there's definitely much more awareness around it now. Mm. Learning from like my parents and everything from what they have shared, it was the help of other parents who would sit and listen or that they would engage with and, and talk with and just being in a smaller community allows you to be able to build those relationships and friendships with people. Uh, you know, when young families get together, you know, anything can happen. You know, you're all going through the same thing uh, with parenting. And I don't know, I don't have children yet, but that's what I've seen that that happens. And that's what my parents have said, that that was a real support being in a small town with people around them to help them. Mm. So looking back, what would you say to uh, other children who might be going through something either completely different or, or similar, but that uh, that puts them in a unique spot and where others are looking at them and uh, bullying them? What would you say to them uh, that you would have said to Sarah all those years ago? Well, there's a few things that I like to say. I'll just pick a couple of them. Is that they're so much stronger than what they think they are? Even you, as people who are listening and watching this, you are so much stronger than what you think you are, no matter what, what the kids are going through or even the adults and the parents or people that are looking after a child uh, in this way. You know, it may seem like it's hard now, but you'll look back on it and you'll be like, wow, I really learned something from that. I really grown from that. You know, so keep pushing through it. You know, just keep going also, if you're at school and you're being bullied by someone or a group of people, uh, chances are they're bullying you because they don't understand what you're going through. They don't understand how to help you. But mostly from research and stuff, you found out that actually the people doing the bullying feel insecure about something that's going on inside of them or what's happening in their life. So pretty much just don't kind of give in to it. Don't feed them to keep bullying or keep doing anything stand your ground and go find some people who actually really care about you, which came out in your story as well, Matt, you know, getting alongside other people. You know, there are lots of different groups at schools, whether you're at a small school or a bigger school, uh, go and find some young people who can understand you and uh, share about it. And with social media and stuff these days, it's so much more easier to be yourself and to express how you feel and I think that that is fantastic. So that's what I'd say to those kids. Mm, great advice. So as you moved into your teenage years, did uh, did things change um, in the sense of what you could physically do and, and not do? And how did that affect the things that you could do that others were doing that you'd call hobbies? What did you find to, to get involved in? Well, I was never like a netballer or a footballer or a soccer player. or I did try tennis. 
Like I, I did like playing tennis. I was pretty good at tennis. Uh, the one thing I really, really enjoyed was swimming. I loved swimming. I did swimming every single Tuesday in Handorf uh, with a special teacher and the really small lessons, and it was great. It was awesome. Water, warm water especially, is great when you are experiencing juvenile arthritis or arthritis in general. Uh, it is awesome. And so I really, really liked uh, doing that. Uh, also, my father was a part of the CFS at Ichanga. He was captain at the time when I was moving into high school. And so we were, my family were a part of the OV support. So those who go out, uh, the, who feed the firefighters, who water them, you like who make sure like that they are okay. And so whenever there was a big bushfire happening or they were out for hours upon hours, uh, the firefighters were, that is, uh, we would get together with a whole bunch of other people from the community. We'd line up tables and make sandwiches, burgers, rolls, packets of you know lollies or whatever and uh, send it out with the appliances uh, CFS appliances as they came in so I really enjoyed doing those things Uh, and of course I was I loved going to like kids club and youth group and all of those different activities within the church it was a way that I was able to make friends of people who were compassionate and caring and wanted to listen to what I was going through Uh, when I was ready to share what I was going through, that is, uh, because being so isolated and alone for such a long time or feeling like you are because of this condition and because of the stigma that is still around because of this condition, it does get very lonely and isolating. And there was no, you know, back in 90s and 2000s, like there wasn't that much of a social media presence. I was too young to be on social media. So there was Nothing like there is now for support online with other people. You can reach them more broader. But when I was 12, I had applied to go to Hayfield High School uh, in the Adelaide Hills. I really wanted to go there because I do. I did love drama. Uh, that's pretty much why I yeah. ended up turning into radio. <laughs> uh, loved drama, really wanted to go there because of their drama program, not volleyball program. And then I injured myself treading water for the first time and my swimming lessons and we just thought it was like a normal injury that kind of happens and then it pretty much manifested into osteoporosis and rheumatoid arthritis went in and attacked the joint so it ultimately to cut a super long story short it's kind of just bone on bone now. I did have a spur and it was very hard for me to walk and run and do all those things. I don't have that problem anymore. That'll come out later on in the story. But at the time, it was terrible, horrible, the worst thing. I spent so much time in hospital. It was it's not funny. So many times when the doctors were like, right, we're going to keep you in be into hospital. You're going to have to stay here in this room because we don't want you to walk anywhere because we're trying to figure out what to do with you. Like we're trying to figure out what to do with your hip. We're trying to figure out why you are not responding to any medication. Like you're not responding to steroids. You're not responding to injections. What is going on? You need to stay here. But there is a funny story that does come out of all of this. So the time, the first time when they told me that I needed to go into hospital and to be in hospital, like stay in there for a week. Uh, and I wasn't allowed to like go on long walks or anything like that. I had to stay in my bed while they tried to figure out what was going on. Uh, it was cherry tomato season. Right. 
And so we used to grow cherry tomatoes at our house in Ichunga. And so we just, you know, my brother and I had gone out and picked a whole bunch of cherry tomatoes. And so my brother and I, the night before going to hospital, were just sitting there eating cherry tomatoes, right? Because, well, they're delicious and you can. Anyway, the next day, go into hospital, everything's fine. I get admitted. And then I just start vomiting, like, all the time. And it doesn't stop. It didn't stop. And they thought that I had gastro even though I thought, I think I've just eaten too many tomatoes, but that's okay. So then I got my own room (laughs) and it was fabulous. So for the rest of the week, I had my own room and the doctors all had to dress up in like full gear and everything, mask and what we would call PPE now that everyone's aware of, PPE coming on in and stuff. It was funny when you're 12 years old and you're stuck in a room like it was... Well, there's a yeah. tip. There's a tip for um, anyone. <laughs> Don't say that. Don't say that. <laughs> we are listening to Sarah's story. This is Life Bursts. Hey, did you know this show is available in video too? You can find it at rawcut.com.au. Now, Sarah, there's one hobby that you haven't shared that you got involved in at a very young age. Tell us about that. Yeah, so because we realised, my family and I realised that there wasn't much awareness about this condition, uh, my mother found the closest organisation that she could to supporting children who were living with juvenile arthritis, saw that they weren't doing very much, and so we tried to change that. So for many years, we advocated for change here in South Australia for juvenile arthritis. Uh, We raised thousands upon thousands of dollars of um, funds uh, for this change, and we felt that nothing actually ever happened, nothing that we wanted to happen, nothing that we were trying to voice was, was happening. And so we didn't really hear that our voices were being listened to. But through that, we found that there was also a community that were going through the same thing that also felt that their voices weren't being heard. And so that pretty much led to the biggest hobby of them all, which I don't really see as a hobby anymore. Hobby. It's, it's, it's what I love doing. It's amazing. So, yeah, when I finished school, there were, I've just asked, answered your question that you were going to, I'll let you ask it, okay? Well, that's what I was going to ask, what you want to do. <laughs> What did you want to do when you finished school? Did you have any idea? When I was in year 10, they asked us. So I was, so I eventually ended up at Heathfield High School, right? So I like hobbled for a couple of years around like this terrible hobble. Um, It ended up like on ABC, uh, the 7.30 report and stuff. Like they did a whole report about juvenile arthritis. uh, And so that was one of the, the parts of that change, I suppose, just to go back on your question that you just asked me. Uh, when I was 12, that's when my radio thing started, but we can bring that up later. Mm. I went on and talked about juvenile arthritis. Uh, so when in year 10, they ask you, and they still do these days, it's good. Did they ask you, like when you were in year 10, about what you wanted to do? Yeah, it was certainly a time where you started thinking about it. They wanted to yeah. prompt you. Yes. I wrote journalist because mm. from a, a very young age, my grandma in Eunice Owen encouraged me to write things and draw things and put things in articles and stuff in the Ichunga Community Times every month. So I did do that. So I really liked that. And I really liked this thing called television and radio. And I thought it was fantastic here in Australia because you can share your opinion and it's okay and it's accepted or not accepted. It doesn't matter. Like it was fantastic. So I 
really wanted to be a journalist. I found my year 12 yearbook the other day, funnily enough, mm. when I was going through some things. And it says that uh, I wanted to uh, go and study to be a journalist. But I also said that I wanted to be a full-time personal trainer, study to be a journalist and continue to be an ambassador for juvenile arthritis because I said that there was being a little bit selfish here. I feel like I was in my year 12 statement uh, that I felt like I was the best fit for the position Mm -hmm. of living with the condition at the time. Makes sense. Yeah. So that's pretty much what I thought my life was going to look like. And I did become a full-time personal trainer for a while there while I was figuring out what it was supposed to be. I went and did, which was pretty extraordinary, by the way. I was on some pretty heavy medication called biologics, which go in and then start changing uh, what's uh, the cells and stuff that's inside of you is the best way to explain it, rather than a tablet like um, Panadol or Celebrex or those types of things where they go in and Uh, speak to your brain this speaks more to the overall running of your body and how it works and so I was on this pretty hard stuff so I was pretty good I was uh yeah I was able to lift weights and exercise and do things I hadn't been able to do in such a long time so I decided to study to be a personal trainer which no one ever thought I'd ever do I finished it the year after leaving year 12 like so finishing school so that took two years and then yeah started the started the business. I worked at a gym for a while and started to build up relationships and saw how easy it was. And this was before personal training was like in and cool and everybody was doing it. Everyone's now doing it. And the market is so flooded with lots of different people. Mm. So you're a pioneer. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. That's, yeah, that's, that's what I wanted to be and what I wanted to do. And I did do that, but I also started kids arthritis when I was 19 So it's Australia's first and leading organization that's changing the way the world views arthritis. And lots of people thought that that was crazy. From the age of 15 onwards, pretty much, I had had this vision like in my head that I was going to start an organization. And pretty much anybody from any other type of organization would tell me that I couldn't do it, that I shouldn't do it, that it would be too hard. And I just want to say that I didn't start kids arthritis because those people told me that I couldn't do it. No, that's not my motivation at all. Some people, you know, they tell them that they can't do something. So then they go out and do it to like get back at that person. No, that's not why I started it. I started it out of a genuine need that people all around Australia and in fact, the world need a voice. These children and their families and carers need a voice. And they need someone to share with the world and support them so that they can feel supported enough to talk about it. Uh, That's what they needed. So I filled that gap and I'm still filling that gap. Mm. And so many other young people have stepped up with me and are also filling that gap. And they are true warriors. They are incredible. They are amazing. They are so strong. And they're going through very similar things to what I went through. The medication may be stronger, it may be different now, uh, but they're still going through the same issues. And so it it is wonderful to have an organisation that they can turn to, people that they can turn to, people that they trust is the big word there Mm. and can, yeah, to be there for them. Is there just one story, and you don't have to use their names, of of that you know the impact that your organisations had on them in a positive way? There is an organisation overseas 
that has started. It's not a family, but it's like the biggest, the biggest story and the most amazing story of, and it's something I never, ever, ever thought would happen. There's an organization that has now started in a third world country uh, that is there for children and their families and carers who are living with juvenile arthritis. It's called Arthritis Kids, which I'm okay with. But they saw how easy it was mm-hmm. for me to set it up. Uh, it was easy, but it wasn't easy. You're like you're starting something new for the first time. But they saw me doing it and how much support I was getting. So then they thought, let's do this because a similar thing is happening here. We're not getting supported enough. Let's do this. And that is amazing to me. That is just the biggest type of, I'm not looking for encouragement or awards or anything like that, even though I have some. It's just amazing that people in another country have felt so supported by what we have done here in Australia with kids' arthritis that they have decided to start their own charity. It is absolutely amazing. Mm. That's fantastic. And so you continue to, to run kids' arthritis and there are uh, people... Um, yeah, a number of programs offered. Uh, what are some of the ways you're currently connecting and encouraging people? So uh, it has become more acceptable now to be online for things. And so before everything happened in 2020, we were going interstate and meeting with families, uh, meeting with doctors and all those types of people uh, interstate and just connecting them because that's what people want. Like there's organizations that are looking for a cure. There's organizations that are doing all of that, but we need to, you need to really focus on what is the root cause. Like what is the problem right now? It's that these families don't even feel supported enough to even talk about it with their friends or even with their family, that they're not even going to share it. Uh, So supporting them, bringing them together, connecting them with other people who are like them so they feel supported enough to then share it. So lots of online groups, in-person groups we have. We go to schools, speak to teachers, uh, run tons of different programs. It's just amazing. But overall, it's it's to connect the families, the children and carers together so that they feel supported enough to then tell other people. I can't stress that enough out of everything that we do. And we do so much that we don't have enough time for to go into today. There is a lot. Kidsarthritis.org is where you can go to find out more about what I'm talking about now. Fantastic. We are chatting to Sarah and uh, hearing Sarah's story. Uh, This is Life Bursts. In Australia, juvenile arthritis affects one in 1,000 children. It's a silent yet common condition. Kids Arthritis is here to help support these children and their families. To help them, go to kidsarthritis.org. This has been a Raw Cut Community Service Announcement. Well, Sarah, you've certainly packed a fair bit into a pretty unique childhood. Uh, After being a personal trainer and alongside setting up your charity, uh, what other... Uh, jobs did you find yourself throwing thro- find yourself throwing yourself into? <laughs> yeah, uh, this is sort of the part of my life that I haven't really shared very widely before. So it's awesome that I get to share it in this capacity. Uh, so when I was, I'd finished my study as personal trainer. I was working at a gym, 
but I also knew that I really loved kids, right? I really loved kids. So I wanted to figure out whether I really liked volunteering at my church with kids or if I liked working with kids in a childcare center. So with that type of experience that I'd got from being 12 and I was like 18 by this time of volunteering at Ichunga, where you are, uh, I was pretty desirable to work in a childcare centre, so it made it really easy and I picked up working at three different centres, just pretty much just figuring out and trying to discover if that's where I was supposed to be and if that's what I really liked doing. Turns out I didn't like doing that <laughs> at all. Good to know. It wasn't for me. Uh, childcare was not for me, but hats off to those people who are still like are in childcare. You're very important to society. Uh, and so from there, I pretty much realized okay, well, I'm not supposed to be in a childcare center. I do like volunteering at church with children. Uh, so I'm going to keep doing that. And then, you know, and then obviously kids arthritis started when I was 19. Um, so, yeah, at, at church, I there was the minister that was there before you, Laurie Lingwood, her, his wife, Kathy Lingwood, pretty much just like took me underneath her wing. And she taught me all of these incredible leadership skills that I have now. Uh, she helped form and shape me from that young teenager up until they left uh, and just being there at Kids Club and uh, started like just washing the dishes afterwards, but then moving into taking on more of a role with running craft and being behind a table and learning how to talk to kids and be with kids and pretty much, as you say, come alongside them and be there with them and talk about their day and what's been going on in their life to then stepping up and being on the little committee that organised a little group that organised these events to happen uh, and so then took a bigger role and then eventually ended up uh, gaining paid work to do these types of things. So connecting in the school and being alongside her uh, pastoral care worker that was there. So pastoral care worker was a huge influence in my life being in primary school. So it was great to, to work alongside her and to be in the school with the kids. And uh, because my brother is three years younger than me he wasn't still in primary school but because of such a small town uh, there were kids there that I knew anyway uh, like their siblings and stuff uh, from people that I went to school with and it was it was awesome to be in that position and to now lead that kids club and to lead those things and I was thrown into leading a youth group which was crazy and uh different but also fun uh leading on Sunday mornings and getting up in front of a, a church rather than just singing up in front of the church but actually like sharing messages and speaking with people and uh them going on this journey with me which many people at Ichanga have have done my whole life they've seen me from a little little tiny kid little baby to where I am now and I'm still there I'm still connected with them um, and so they have come along for that journey as well. And so that was really exciting. I was then picked up to go and work in a couple of other churches as well, doing children's ministry. And uh, at the same time, I was running kids arthritis, but it never sort of overlapped or anything. I never let my own personal views of faith and God and Jesus and everything uh, interfere with within the charity. That is a part of who I am, but it's not a part of what kids arthritis is. I mm, mm. um, just want to make that super clear. Uh, so that was great. Uh, it really affirmed to me that I am great at connecting with young people, uh, especially teenagers, and I'm still in contact with 
a lot of those teenagers from that that time of my I life and they still want to hang out with myself and my husband now and, and and we still do that and still hang out with some of the kids and yeah and just continuing to be there and to be a positive influence in their life just like you know so much of what your story last week said you know about my story is that there are lots of young people that are leaving the church and there are lots of young people that are thinking that God doesn't love them, God doesn't care about them, that they're sick or they're feeling this way or this is happening because God doesn't love them. But in fact, it's actually the opposite. God loves them and wants to have a relationship with them and wants to get to know them more. uh, And he's trying to talk to them, but you just need to be listening. And I had a conversation with uh, one of my friends that I have known pretty much since birth because our fathers are best friends. And, uh, yeah, he's just like, well, I don't think God's trying to talk to me, Sarah. And I, and my friend, uh, myself and uh, my other friend who I've known since high school, we both at the same time said, you're not listening. And it's so true. Some God is trying to talk to you, but are you listening? Are you really listening to what he has to say? And he'll speak in different ways to different people. And I think that that is what is awesome and amazing about God is that he is there no matter what happens. And, uh, you know, there are kids through kids' arthritis that when I share with them that I went to church or whatever, they'll then be like, oh, I go to church too. Or, you know, I talk to God or I go to a Christian school or I read the Bible. Like they'll start talking about it. And I remember when I did, uh, you know, share one time with, with one of the little girls, uh, she said, oh, yeah, I go to a Christian school. Do you think that God could help me with my arthritis too? And they said, yeah, I think God can help you with your arthritis too if you want him to. You know, it's it's pretty awesome. So, yeah, there was that part of my life that was happening at the same time and I had a pretty awesome mentor who was uh, also there leading mm-hmm. and, and guiding and shaping and uh, taught me so much, uh, which was excellent. And I really encourage young people to have someone that's a little bit older than them that is also passionate in the same areas that can help guide and grow them in the same same way and in in the way that you do want to be and to have that good relationship with people that you can trust, mm. which is excellent. Yeah, that's fantastic. Now, you mentioned your husband. Yes. Just tell us briefly, um, yeah, how you met and uh, just the makeup of your household now. <laughs> I think I know where this is going. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I met my husband in the middle, really. So he's from the northeast, so from Modbury. Uh, and obviously I'm from Echunga. And we met in the city. And it just went from went from there. Uh, com- I would like to say our families are sort of complete opposites from one another. But what is really true is that both of our families love us so dearly and love each other so dearly. And it's amazing to just be so welcomed into their family. So when, when we got married, everyone was there, the whole community came out and yeah, everybody was so excited. So married in 2019 for my, um, my father passed in October of 2019. So it was pretty awesome uh, to have him there with us. And uh, now life is living in the Northeast, which I'm getting used to slowly smaller block of land not it's about 700 square meters so not too much smaller uh, than an acre and a bit uh, have 
amazing neighbors so that makes it better that little country feel i do have a rabbit marshmallow which i think is where you were leading with this i think so yes. um, cue the pictures yeah that's right <laughs> cue the pictures of marshmallow the rabbit uh it if you are listening to this podcast and you can't see pictures, uh, Marshmallow is a little white fluffy lopped-eared rabbit with blue eyes. Uh, he wears a collar that is blue with a little bow tie on it. And he was in our wedding. He drove a, a Mercedes car, which we got from Mercedes. It was given to us by Mercedes uh, down the aisle and delivered the rings to you, the minister. Yeah. And, yeah, it was pretty adorable. It was mm-hmm. pretty awesome. Uh, I have a turtle called Terrence, uh, which I I said to my dad. I said uh, uh, just before he died, I said, you know, I'm I'm gonna because he loved turtles and my husband loves turtles. I was like, I'm gonna get my husband a turtle one day. And so yeah, we were given a turtle. His name is Terrence, and we have three chickens. We all have names, all different, fluffy and white. Uh, that's not their names, uh, but yeah, one's fluffy, one's white, and one's big and brown and. We have a bunch of goldfish. So life is smaller than living in Ichunga, uh, but it's also a different sort of exciting, and I love it. Fantastic. Well, we're listening to Sarah's story. Uh, this is Life Bursts. Raw Cut is also on social media. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter with the handle RawCutAU. Now, Sarah, you've shared a fair bit of your story and the challenges and uh, what you've been doing. But in the last little while, you've had a, a, another unique experience <laughs> that uh, is, I'd love to hear a little bit of your perspective on it. Uh, tell us what happened for you a couple of years ago. Yeah, so uh, a couple of, well, yeah, probably about a couple of years ago, a little bit further. Um, many people know I went blind, like fully blind for the first time. And so as I do as a person who loves Jesus, I went up to the front of the church and shared with everyone at the church what was happening. And obviously people were really shocked and weren't really sure what to do. So we prayed and everything. And then at the end of the service, when I was walking out, uh, a lady came up to me who I've known forever. And she said, Sarah, I think something else might be going on here. I didn't really understand what that meant. And so then we like went over and we have like a copper afterwards and stuff like that. And another lady who I've known forever and trust and respect came up to me and said the same thing. She said, Sarah, I think that there might be something deeper, something else going on uh, in your life. And so once again, took that with like, what does even that mean? Anyway, people uh, sort of started coming around me in a sort of a deeper sense because I was obviously blind, right? And I couldn't see anything and it was hard. And uh, my sight eventually came back uh, after four days and then it would just disappear randomly whenever it wanted to, like my whole sight and everything. And that happened a few times, a few more than what I would like, which is none, but it, it happened a few more than, mm. than I would like. Um, and then pretty much met some people uh, through the church and they really prayed for me, but they prayed for me in a different way, uh, which I love and which I've learned so much from. And through that uh, time on my 25th birthday, uh, I woke up and I felt no more pain anymore. Right. And this is not uh, something that happens every day for you? No, 
No, I literally lived my whole life in pain every single day. Mm. Every single day, constant pain there. I don't even know how I lived now, but I woke up and there was no pain and I could move with no pain. I could move with no stiffness. It was amazing. Anyway, I was curious. I went and had a blood test, right? And the blood test came back that I did not have arthritis anymore. Wow. The doctors are still stunned and they still don't know because currently there is, now I say, no medical cure. Before that, I used to say that there was no cure for juvenile arthritis. But there clearly is a cure and you could tell that through my story that we've just heard. And so now I say that there is no medical cure because there is no medical cure. But there is a cure for juvenile arthritis. It's like there's cures for lots of other different things in this world as well. So that happened, but the blindness still continued to stick around. So I still didn't have sight in my right eye and hadn't since I was a teenager. And there's a whole big story about that that people can find out about online. Um, And so then we just kind of kept doing this thing called praying uh, to God and uh, seeking his wisdom and advice and what he wanted to do and might may sound crazy to some people because they don't understand and hey that's fine uh, that this is what happened and there's people around me that can vouch for what happened as well and like we say here on Life Best it's, it's your story you can't argue with someone's story mm-hmm. because it's what happened to them and that's that is the case right now people are like oh did your diet change no. Did you change your exercise? No. I, I'm just like, I don't think you understand. I had pain for my whole life. And then in one day, it's not there and it has not come back. That pain that I used to feel, I'm 27 now, it has never, ever come back again in the same way. If you watch videos back from the beginning of kids' arthritis, I'll share with people that I'm in pain every single day and it's a different type of pain. It's not like banging your knee on a table. I've sat in this exact chair in this exact room saying those things. It's a different type of pain. So when that pain had gone, I knew something was different and I went to my arthritis doctor and I sat crossing my legs because I'd never been able to do that. And I was standing up and sitting down in different ways and uh, I've grown in height since all of this has happened. Yet my vision has continued to get worse, but I know and other people know and you know Matt that it is going to come back and doctors and medical professionals really wrestle with that you know I've been referred to lots of different doctors because I stand this ground that my sight will come back and I tell people that my sight will come back and I have told my doctors to back off from offering medication and offering all of this because I know that it's going to come back And as I share, that was a very informed choice that I made, not just on the grounds of what had happened, but on the grounds of uh, speaking with other people and other things uh, in life and around that to sort of take that stand to say, just let me do it for a bit. I'm 26, 27. Just let me work it out for a while and I'll come back to you if I need your help. Mm. So that's where I am now. Yeah. So just to recap, you... Uh, lived with symptoms of juvenile arthritis mm-hmm. for 25 all years. of your life. Mm-hmm. And then after people prayed with you, yeah. uh, you woke up one morning yeah. and uh, you haven't had those symptoms anymore. And mm-hmm. the blood tests and the doctors are baffled. Mm-hmm. Everything is is clear. It's yeah. changed. How do you wrestle with then that um, 
when you've prayed, you believe God can work a miracle, yeah. and he did, but yet with your eyesight, that miracle hasn't happened. How do you, um, do you not get angry at God, or how, do you, how are you dealing with that? <laughs> well, I believe that pretty much from just like everything and from the Bible and other people who are older than me, who are wiser than me, we've experienced uh, that God has a plan. This earth just doesn't happen. The sun just doesn't shine. It just doesn't rain at a certain time. Like this stuff just doesn't happen. Okay. Like I can try and control my life as, as much as I can, but it just doesn't work at a point in time. It'll just come back around. It just, for me, of course, I've asked why. I'm a human being. Of course, I'm going to ask why. Why is this happening? Why did my dad die? Why can't I see? Why is why, 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 why? But it's not the main thing that I focus on. But God likes it when we ask why, but only in a good way, like in a nice tone that, that we ask him. Ask him why, because it means that we're curious and we want to know why. But I trust him that the plan that he has in store for me and you and people listening is something much bigger and much greater than what we could ever understand. And the moment, because like my whole life I've always believed in God, like there's been no buts or ifs. I knew that something was there and that's how I was uh, raised. But my parents were also very much like you sort of, like you figure it out yourself. We want to give you space to do that. Um, and so I've come to that conclusion that, yeah, this, this is what I want to do because so many things just keep happening. So many things happen that you can't explain that just seem to happen, that are awesome and amazing. And if you need something, it just happened. Like it's, I just trust. I just trust. That's why I'm not worried. That's why I'm not concerned. That's why I am legally blind right now. And I honestly, it doesn't phase me one bit. Like the doctors are all, wah! And I'm like, dude, it's fine. Like, it's chill. Like, it's going to come back. Right now I'm living like this. And it's okay. I'm at peace with it and I'm totally fine with it. Um, and that's strange and it takes a long time for a person to get to that sort of point if you haven't had all of this lead up and if you haven't had people around you that nurture you and love you and care for you and listen to you and are there for you. That is the biggest influence. I have deliberately surrounded myself with people who care about me, people who want the best for me. And I learned that in high school and mm. I learned that as a young adult. Mm. You are who you hang out with. You need to surround yourself with, with those people. And, hey, if it turns out that those people also believe in this Jesus, then, hey, that's awesome. But I also surround my pe myself with people who don't and people who are very, very tested by what has happened in my life because this doesn't happen every single day and I can give you all the evidence that I have to say that what has happened is true and what has happened is is, is real and it's amazing. Mm -hmm. So I stand firm and I don't know, it's just too hard not to. Like I just don't understand how people don't. Yeah. Mm. That's an incredible story. So, Thera, thank you for sharing with that. Oh, wow. Uh, and, and I think you shared your advice all there in, in that yeah, as well. I so, uh, it has been great to share with you. This is Life Bursts. Uh, we're continuing to share stories of uh, people that we know, your stories, the real stories that are worth sharing with the world. I'm Matt. And I'm Sarah. Life Bursts is hosted by Matthew Karat 
and Sarah Freeman. With production by Reese Jarrett and Kay Hoshra Ozadigan. With additional assistance by Brett Freeman. For more episodes of Life Bursts, go to rawcut.com.au. This is a Raw Cut production.